But it's a matter of like, I mean, we talk about it in terms of like, how do we get patients to behavior change, right? Like if you don't have the environment and the constraints there to induce that ability for them to work through that or actually gain that mindset or get them to just even notice it, that's never going to happen. And like, I can tell you right now, like my program's not set up for a lot of that at all. Welcome back to the Clinical Athlete Podcast. If you're not familiar with Clinical Athlete, we're a network of healthcare providers, students, and coaches who specialize in the management of athletes. We have two missions. The first mission is to connect athletes with professionals who they can trust. And our second mission is to create a community and foster the education of those professionals and future professionals in the realm of athlete health and performance. This podcast is one way that we fulfill those missions, and if you're one of our six listeners who enjoy the show, do us a favor and give it a rating on your favorite podcast platform so that we can get this information out to as many people as possible. Pause this right now, click that five star, maybe even type something nice for us, boom, duty fulfilled. To learn more about Clinical Athlete, head on over to the website, clinicalathlete.com, and join the free Kalu community Facebook group, that's C-A-L-U, where Clinical Athlete and the Level Up Initiative communities have combined to form an amazing group with several different types of learning opportunities. You can join the Kalu community Facebook group by clicking the link in the show notes. My name is Quinn Hennick. I'm a doctor of physical therapy in Orange County, California at Clinical Athlete Newport. We've got another student edition coming at you with our Clinical Athlete student ambassadors leading the way. Physical therapy students Chris Hewen and Megan Broussard, along with chiropractic student Derek Bark, will bring other students within the Kalu community onto the show to discuss their journey. And on this episode, our clinical athlete student ambassadors brought on Andrew Gillahan, who is a physical therapy student and active member of the clinical athlete and Kalu communities. Andrew dives deep into the student life. And the team has a great discussion about Andrew's experience in a master's program versus a DPT program, as well as how Stoic philosophy has shaped Andrew's worldview and his view of physical therapy. The discussion goes even deeper into Andrew's interest in military athletes and male pelvic health, and it's just a great conversation all around. So if you're a student wanting to hear about how other students are navigating their experiences, this show is for you. What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Student Shenanigans. So we have, as always, Derek Bark, Megan Bouchard, and myself. And today we have Andrew Gillahan joining the party to chat about his, you know, whole life and future life. Pretty stoked. We're pretty much brothers from another mother, both bald, facial hair, sometimes I wear glasses, we could be brothers. Meant to be, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm stoked. How are you? How are all of you? Doing well. Surviving. Dude, it's yeah. so close to finals. You taste it. <laughs> yeah, I think everyone's close to finals. I don't know about Derek because I don't know if Kyra's schedule is whack. Uh, we have finals next week. So oh, uh, sure. Monday through Thursday and then Friday's like our makeup day. So I think we have three every day. So should be fun. Megan, you have what next week or the week after? Both. 
We, okay. they, they spread them out a little bit. So we have just a couple this week and then the majority of them the week after that. Got it. Yeah, mine are two weeks away. So we're all in the same spot. This is great. So, all right. Andrew, would you mind giving just a little background on yourself, kind of where you're from, where you went to undergrad, where you did your master's, and where you currently are? Yeah, so I am from Boise, Idaho. Um, I lived there until I was about 11. Uh, Dad got a job in the Olympia, Washington area. I moved up there, finished high school there, um, ended up actually doing my associate's degree at the community college right there in Olympia. And then ended up working at a PT clinic for about like three years. Um, ended up applying to, because I was kind of in this mode of like, I just wanted to like work. Um, ended up applying to PTA school and got denied twice into that. So I ended up saying, well, um, kind of like, screw you guys. I'm going to go get my undergrad. I'm going to go to PT school. So I moved back to Boise, um, had family there still. I just kind of wanted to go back home, quotes, I guess. Um, so I went back to Boise, uh, got my undergrad in kinesiology, uh, exercise science, got a psych minor uh, over there at Boise State. Decided that I kind of wasn't ready for PT school. So I stuck around, applied to get a GA position, applied to the master's program, got both of those. Had a couple years paid for, did a lot of research, worked a lot of hours. And then finally, once I was done, I was like, I hate doing research. I hate the whole process of doing it. I enjoy reading it, but I just don't like to actually do it myself. Uh, other people can do it. They like it. Um, and then so I applied to PT school, got into a couple places, decided that Arkansas State was the cheapest option at $56,000 for the entire three years of tuition. And I said, cool, let's do it. I don't want any more debt than I have to have. So I moved out to Jonesboro, Arkansas, and my car broke down uh, four hours in. So yeah, that was terrible. I had to get to like the orientation like that Friday. So I had to get a rental, drive the rest of like the thousand miles to get to school on time. And my car was in the middle of Utah. So that was a whole another story. But um, yeah, so been in Jonesboro pretty much ever since. And I'm sure Jonesboro is just the best place to live of all time, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, if you're into Jonesboro kind of things, you know. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> when you said... Initially, you said you weren't really ready for PT school. Do you mean from an academic standpoint, from just a like commitment to school? Could you elaborate? So it was more of a uh, life thing, I think. Um, I had a lot of friends that I'd made. Uh, I had a girlfriend at the time. Um, I wanted to like work, and I wanted to kind of get away from school a little bit just because I had just come from – like I was working for three years at the PT clinic. I went back to school and I was like super focused on school and work. And that's all I did. Um, I mean, of course I did fun things, right? Like we were just kind of talking about, we all have our undergrad stories of going out and partying, but you know, it was one of those things that I was like, I just don't think I'm ready to like leave Boise yet. There was just like a lot of other external factors. And uh, so 
kind of yes and no academically. Um, I thought that I just wasn't totally ready yet. So my master's was actually in uh, kinesiology again, um, but it was behavioral sciences. So it was all sport and exercise psychology and kind of like, obviously, you know, Calu right now, um, like level up going through that, like everything that they kind of preach and what they kind of go over is what I wanted to do in a master's degree. I just took an academic route with it versus like, Oh, I actually did Calu after I went through my master's and like in my first year of PT school. So a lot of that stuff I already knew. It was just more of like the communication side of things. And I mean, funny enough, my girlfriend at the time in my master's degree was a communication, a communications major, uh, in grad school too. So, which is almost like weird. We ended up, whatever, falling, falling out of, out of touch. But, uh, like a lot of the things that like we talked about consistently, like came up again and level up and like all of these different things. I was like, Oh damn. Like, like it was such a good experience to go through that master's degree and just like the life events that I had that I would not be the same person. I would not have the same thought processes. I would not like at all be in the same place that I would be right now if I hadn't taken those two extra years. So I kind of tell people I had advisors and um, my faculty members that I was a GA for. So it was the human growth and motor learning, which is one of the kind of like the capstone courses for the Kines program at Boise State, and then the statistics faculty. So uh, the human growth and motor learning, I did a lot of research for her on like digital learning um, for youth. It's a thing more like your peds class um, in terms of like how you teach kids. Um, it wasn't necessarily those with disabilities or anything like that, but it was more of like general population of like how do you get youth to learn. Um, and then my statistics faculty. So uh, Dr. Yang Gao, she is absolutely insane. So she's act the uh, like the head, like chair, whatever she is of ACSM, but the China like portion of it. So she's actually from China. She came over here like super intelligent. So I was actually doing like, um, I was rewriting uh, into like more academic, like English papers and like abstracts from like uh, research projects from China. She gave me like these almost like broken English, like abstracts and these papers. And I had to read these papers and like make this like abstract or these posters make sense for these students and researchers that were like in a totally different language <laughs> than I am. So it was just kind of a, a really like formative experience of like cultural difference. Uh, I'm not really like, I don't really want to do peds, even though I have a peds rotation this summer, but it was really cool just from like a, Hey, maybe I want to have kids one day. You know what I mean? Like, how do I make them like the most, I don't know, how do I put them ahead, I guess, in life? Um, I have a nephew, like, how do I get my brother to help him learn how to do skills? So, and then I also kind of ran the, um, uh, health and human performance club, which was the kinesiology dependent club, um, there while I was in my master's degree. So put a lot of events together. I actually did almost like podcast style, um, kind of like Kalu where you bring in people like from the community and like all over. And I actually brought them in for like undergrad and everybody to have like these presentations of like, hey, here's like all of these high level clinicians, uh, you know, like it could be trainers, it could be, we had uh, the head marketing um, person for bodybuilding.com, like if you wanted to get into supplements or anything like that. So 
I did that for about a year and a half. And then obviously I had to graduate and write my own projects and do my own things. So yeah, applied to PT school after all of that and was like, I think I'm ready now. And I wanted to just go do what I wanted to do. So it was kind of, it was the plan all along. I just kind of had a, a little like, I don't know, sidestep to it. So. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so you were pretty thorough on the, what that master's looked like. How many people were in your, I don't know if y'all call it cohort or in your class? Uh, so it varied. Um, and it's different because like you didn't have to go all together. Right. So like if you wanted to be in the master's program and just go part time, you could, you had, it's like, I don't know how many years, seven years to finish the degree once you enter it. So like, if you just want to take one class a semester, you could do that if you wanted to. Um, but there was 15 to 20, I think mine had like 17 or 18 that started. And then kind of, as you go, people kind of fall behind a little bit just based on like obviously life. Um, but the thesis track kind of sets you behind just because it, it's not set up to, it is set up to finish in two years. Like if you start in the first year, but most people going from undergrad to a master's program have no idea what research actually entails. Like if you're going to do a thesis and you're writing this paper, that's, you know, like 60 pages long and you don't even know where to start, right? Like you have to go to through IRB, you have to go through all of these processes that they don't even really show you how to do that in your first year. So I would say probably it's funny because I think uh, a majority of us started off in the thesis track, myself included. And then about end of fall, <laughs> you have like 75 to 85% of them are like, yeah, I'm actually just going to go do the project track now because I want to finish. I want to graduate. Um, most of us, like they help you like work through this thesis, like kind of as you go that second year. But I think a lot of people are, it's just so daunting. And then just beyond doing the literature review in that semester and learning how to do that within, <clears throat> within your research course, then you have to somehow at some point uh, come up with participants. Like it was crazy. So mine, um, my thesis, like when I was writing it and my lit review, I still have it on my computer. It's like 30 pages long. It's the worst. I hate looking at it. Um, so it was uh, self-determination theory uh, and, um, self-talk, like the correlations and the like different relationships of that within CrossFit. So looking at like community and like what kind of like what coaches are telling their members to look at and what they're telling them, like how these members are actually speaking to themselves while they're going through these like intense workouts and kind of what that all like encompasses. So at the end of the day, I was like, I don't have time to do this research project. Um, but yeah, like I said, most people will just kind of forgo the thesis track and then hop right into the project. So my project was, I ended up doing the uh, Bronco Challenge is what it was, Boy State Broncos. Um, so Bronco Fit Challenge was basically you had the undergrad kinesiology students come in for their final like strength and conditioning course, which is, you know, you kind of go over the NSCA, the book, right? And uh, what they do is they get paired with one or two faculty members and they treat this entire course like it's their first job or their training period of like, how do we train people? 
how do we like coach people? How do we do this thing? So it was my job to actually write the manual or rewrite it for that program because there was there was one written already. Uh, basically, updating all of the the research that was in it, basically modifying or streamlining any processes that needed to be done. Um, so essentially, like making a business, you know, like from that point. And then because I was in because I was a GA and actually taught some of the human growth and motor labs, I already had most of these kids as students anyway. So I was almost like a mentor to a lot of them in terms of like, okay, like here's what we would look at for, you know, human growth and motor learning. Uh, you go over coaching in that course. And then how do we take that and we take it to like the strength and conditioning side of things or just the health and wellness. Um, I helped with the healthy agers uh, or the older adults strength and conditioning thing too. Uh, the university has a program where they would have uh, older adults from the community come in um, and you had the GAs that were in there supervising these older adults going through strength training programs. So, and there were some undergrad students that would help. So a lot of it was just doing that, but yeah. To me, that sounds a lot more psychologically taxing than a dpt program from a i think one not a pure memorization study for the exam prep for the boards it's much more interpreting literature rewriting research like you said for your abstracts having conversations with undergrads like do you was it and we kind of talked about this on the phone like maybe a year ago um, with the transition from your master's to the DPT, but was the transition and the kind of the framework of learning and the process of learning in your master's compared to your doctorate, is it pretty vastly like different? Yes, absolutely. Um, it's, uh, I don't know how to, trying to be like politically correct about it almost and be nice. Um, but it is like, it's so different going from undergrad into a DPT program because you, I think a lot of these people, like they're so used to undergrad and a lot of DPT programs treat people like they're an undergrad still. So coming from a master's program where they said, literally, this is one of the faculty members, he lined us up and had a stand like on each side of the room and said, Hey, okay, if you think that your grade should be based on how hard you work, stand over here on this side. If you think it should be based on how much you know, stand over here. And everybody went and lined up on this continuum and he walked out the fucking door. He went all the way down this way and said, I do not care how hard you work. It does not matter to me. Like as, as long as you know the content, it doesn't matter. As long as you know what you're doing, it really doesn't matter. So it's like one of those things where... I don't know. It's almost like a coddling thing that we'd go into like the DPT or, you know, like even hearing from some of the Cairo people is like, there's handholding that goes with it. And that's, I don't know. I, I got away from that where I was like, no, like I want to do what I want to do. Like, and I can do that myself just from, you know, in my master's degree, I was a GA. So I was working 20 hours a week. I was teaching classes. I had my own class load that was full time. And then I worked at a restaurant, you know, serving, um, you know, a couple nights a week, every weekend to make extra money. So I was working, you know, 45 hours, 50 hours a week, and then my full cast class load, and then writing research that wasn't even mine. 
and conducting research, you know, for like all sorts of things. Um, but I think in terms of, I don't know, the differences there, it's, it's just, it's hard because I feel like a lot of the time I almost get held back in a lot of things. Um, and I'm sure you guys too, like there's a lot of things that maybe are redundant or, um, and we've talked about it, Chris, of just like things that you try to ask faculty or come at them with like, even in a respectful way, asking it is sometimes looked at as like, you're trying to be polarizing and you're trying to like, I don't know, negate what they're doing. And I've gotten in trouble for that, you know, like many times and probably still continue to, um, or get talked about in certain ways. Um, but there's a lot of, it's funny cause like the students that are in my program, they, they recognize like my facial expressions when like people say things and like, I've read, I read the articles, like when they, like they send these out and I read them and then they make these like very bold statements about things or they don't give the whole picture. And I'm like, you can't say those things. You know, I mean, I don't say that anymore out loud, but like, there's a lot of things where I get to this point where, you know, there'll be people texting me in class, you know, I'm on my computer and they'll be like, what do you think about that? I'm like, trash. Like, that's it. Uh, you know, like I don't text anything to a group chat anymore. It's just one of those things that I'm like, if people wanted to like learn more or they wanted to like see a different perspective or if they wanted to actually be knowledgeable, they would seek it out. And that's, that was part of the reason I think for me kind of going to thinking about going to PT school, I wasn't ready because I didn't want to be that person. You know, like I, I wanted to be so like confident in what I like could do or my capabilities that I wanted to give myself a little time to, to get more of that research side. Because I mean, I'd talk to however many DPTs or, you know, MPTs that were like, yeah, there's not a lot of research and the research classes you do have aren't great. And I mean, you guys see that now. So it's just different. I mean, the experience that I've had going through that is just, I don't know. I wouldn't say heads above in that area, but there's, I still have a lot of things that I could probably learn and do and concentrate on, but for sure there's definitely some uh, things missing from programs. With your, with the master's program, cause you alluded to the sometimes you've gone or a lot of times you got in trouble with faculty and the DPT with master's program. I've talked to like PhD students about this where, you know, a lot of times you tell, you call them by their first name and it's almost like a level playing field. Did you get that vibe in a master's where you could have more of an easy back and forth? That's the first question. And then the second is there, did you notice a pretty big difference in like the rigor or the environment of the students in your master's compared to the program you're in now? Oh yeah. Um, and I think, like I said, the tone is set pretty high within your first semester of the master's degree. Um, so I guess I'll answer your first question. Uh, is it, is there uh, yeah, it's definitely more laid back in regards to that. Um, I think a little bit further you get into the master's program, you have a little bit more leeway to things. Um, obviously my faculty, my faculty members that I worked for, um, Dr. Gao, I never called her young ever. I think it was just out of just habit uh, because I had her in undergrad. Um, but Dr. Petronic, 
I called her Laura because a lot of the time I was working like so close with her all the time and I was teaching her labs um, that, yeah, we were on first name basis. But then, I mean, I don't know. Ever, all the other faculty didn't really mind. I did get in trouble one time with an adjunct uh, because she wanted to be called doctor. And I just sent her an email on accident because her name was like, I don't even remember what, what it is now, but it was something close to Laura. And Laura was my faculty member. So I just sent it off real quick, asking a question. Anyway, I got in trouble for that. Um, but yeah, so I kind of did that in the PT program where there's a f- couple faculty members that in the first semester, you know, like we'd had some like really good conversations and it just kind of rolled off the tongue maybe of like, hey, you know, so-and-so. And they were like, never call me that again. Like you address me as doctor. And I was like, Got it. Okay, cool. Like, I'm glad we're at that stage now where we can't have a civil, you know, just like, hey, you know what? So I actually got sent to the chair's office for that one um, because it was in front of a couple other people that are whatever. So um, say your second question again, because now I got off track. Well, I forgot it, but oh, it was about before that. I know what it was, but the, to your point, it's, I feel like it's, I'm curious to hear Megan or Derek's thoughts with it because at some aspect you want a certain level, obviously respect towards your professors and you want there to be this understanding that yes, they have, you know, a lot of experience and they are in charge in a lot of ways. But at the same time, it's interesting because we have uh, like lab TAs come in and help and they're clinicians and they're with with, around our school and they're all doctorate you know, level providers, but they, you all call them by the, we all call them by their first name. So it's just interesting that like, it's a casual tone in that setting, but then the actual professor, you call him doctor. But to me, it's like hearing some master's programs and PhD programs where it's first name basis. I think it just sets the tone that it's this collaborative where working through this together. It's not that undergrad mindset of like, I'm going to sit here and listen forever and you're the no, you, you know it all and I need to just absorb it. So I think it just sets a, a different standard. Yeah. And I think so funny enough, the faculty member that I actually got in trouble with was not even a PhD yet. She was in the works of it. So that's beyond the point. Um, yeah, it's, it is very different. Um, I think the collaboration is it's like shared suffering right? Like they know what position you're in. They, they understand that the master's program is not easy. They understand like, Hey, you have, I, I mean, I was very open with them. Like, you know, I'm working 25, 30 hours a week outside of my graduate assistant position at a local restaurant to make men's, to make ends meet and to like do all these things. Even though my master's was paid for, it wasn't like student loans. I was worried about like, I was sitting pretty well money wise and like living wise, it was just a matter of like, that's what I wanted to do. I want, you know, like I didn't know where I was going. I was saving extra money, but a lot of them, they understand because they were there at some point, like, and they understand this is new to many of us because they taught us in undergrad too. So like me, I went through the program and I'm a little bit older. I mean, so I went back at 22, yeah, 22 or 23 is when I went back to go finish my undergrad. So it's just a different level of like responsibility. So, and like I said, at the beginning of 
the entire master's degree, they tell you, we don't care. Like at the end of the day, like we will help you, but it's on you. At the it, it is all on you. And that's why like going in the DPT program is like, well, yeah, it is all on you, but we're only we're also gonna cater it to the lowest common denominator a lot of the time, which it's facts of life. And I think, you know, it's hard to go from that one culture of like, this is all your responsibility and we're here to assist you versus like, Hey, we want to get everyone through. We need to make sure like you all need to go to class at this time. You need to do this and this and this and this assignment versus like, Hey, if you don't know it, sorry, like it is what it is, but the metrics are different too. Like DPT programs, like if they have a bunch of people fail out, they don't get, you know, renewed certification from CAPTI. So I get it, you know, but at the same time, it's like a, what are we doing to the field if we're continuing, continuing to like let people in that maybe they weren't mature enough? Maybe, you know, like there's a lot of factors I get that go into it. So it's just interesting. Well, and if you, if you look at it from chiropractic, which again is a different spectrum, um, I know with the PT programs, typically you have to take more of like an entrance level exam. Um, and then you also have like an interview process to see, you know, what kind of person you are. And granted, maybe some of the questions aren't as great as they could be, but you at least have that opportunity to meet with the faculty, um, for chiropractic. Um, I literally sent my transcripts over, um, and within five minutes it was, Oh yeah, no, you're fine. Like everything will be great. And then I had one conversation with a faculty on campus, a guy I'd never met. It was over the phone. And then within five minutes, he wrote my letter of recommendation to get into the school. Now, compare that to my undergrad with athletic training. Um, I had a one-on-one meeting um, with the entire faculty, all of the professors, all of the head athletic trainers on campus. I mean, they were brutally honest. Um, One of the guys, you know, at that point had told me that he didn't think I was fit to be there. And it was, you know, like you said, you know, they lay it out that, this is your responsibility. You have autonomy here. You can either figure it out and take as much out of this as you want, or you can, you know, struggle and not make it through, but we're here to help you whenever you need it, as opposed to in chiropractic, it is almost like we're being coddled and it's not so much that they want to make us the best for the profession. It's that they just want to make sure our board scores are good and that they're pumping more students in. I mean, I have a, I had 156 kids in my incoming class and that's the number that they're looking to get every try. And most of these kids haven't had an anatomy class. Um, some of them haven't even finished their bachelor's and they're trying to go to chiropractic school and get the rest of their credits finished to be quote unquote eligible. So, yeah, I mean, I, I've noticed it where it feels like we're almost dumbing down the profession by trying to push more numbers and it's more of a quantity game as opposed to quality um, at least from what I'm seeing as well yeah and I think I mean it that's it's so hard because like I said I don't know if I when I was okay like coming out of my bachelor's I was 25 after I finished my bachelor's and then going into my master's program I don't even know if at that point I was ready to like, you know, I still think about it. I was like, I know I wasn't ready actually to go into a DPT program. Like my attitude was totally off. Like I, I would not have, I'm, 
when I say that I, I wouldn't be the same person today. Um, I'm dead serious that like the seriousness that I hold to like the research side of it and like the effect that you can have on people's lives is like so much greater because like I, I have people in my program that are 22, 23 years old that they're like, why are we taking this research class? Like this is, you know, I'm never going to read this research. I'm never going to do research. Like that's words out of people's mouths. And I'm like, how, you know, like you want to be this person or you have this like identity and this visualization of like where you want to be and who you want to be. But like what you're doing right now is not meeting the expectations of what that person is or like who you want to be, you know, like so many of them, even in, you know, philosophy and my master's degree was like, we went in depth into philosophy of sport of like, are these things okay? Like we like everything, like you want to talk about like morals and ethics of like letting, you know, it could be transgender into sport. We had a week long debate over like, is this okay? At what levels can we like make this work? Like we don't have those conversations in our program. Zero. Like that's not a thing. So how do you, if people aren't even aware of what their morals or values are, how do they even know like they want to do this job? I mean, that's really what it comes down to to me. And I'm like, if you haven't even thought about these things, like, should you even be here? I don't know. Like at me at that time before my master's degree, I was not ready. Like, I, I don't know how some people are ready. And, you know, obviously everybody's life is different, but the majority of people that I have conversations with that are in PT school, you know, outside of Kalu or level up stuff is like, I don't know if they'll ever be at that point. So you brought up a really good point of like week long discussion, everything, as you said that I was like, school just feels so rushed. I know Megan, yours probably feels even more because yours is a two and a half accelerated program, but like there would never be time for there to be those type of conversations where you just sit down with faculty and students and hash things out. And maybe they would say that lab time is for that, but you know, lab is taught, you know, pretty, still pretty like rigorously of like, this is the hands-on techniques you have to do, learn it and then leave. And there's just no, it's all, it's literally just a fire hose of information and it seems like that, you know, it was a different process. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just different. I don't know. Yeah. Like, a lot of time, I, I don't really know how to explain that to people. In other words, of just like, they experience the, like, the difference in experience is so great between those programs. Like, they're polar opposites of, like, the type of people and I guess to your your point earlier of like the people in my master's program, they're all either like going to PhD programs and finishing those things, or they're currently like doing some high level like sports work. So like one of my buddies that's still in Boise is he's working for a PT clinic as a strength and conditioning coach down there, which is phenomenal. He's been, you know, kind of struggling through COVID with jobs and stuff, but he's at like the premier PT clinic in Boise right now. Like he just got a new job over there. Like that's huge for him. Um, but I have, there's another girl that she is getting her PhD in Australia. She was really a bi biomechanics, uh, is what hers, um, her thesis was about. 
and she's a rock star. Like these people we have, uh, I forget his last name right now. Um, but the faculty member, uh, for the biomechanics, he's like world renowned, like for tactical athletes and lower body extremity, like load carriage. Like he has the entire Cobra lab at Boise state. They, I don't know what the military like contracts he had, but it was millions of dollars. Like he is like the premier load carriage biomechanist for the military. And I'm like, you have some people and students that are coming out of like, I don't, I, I don't know if I can say that about the faculty members where I'm at. You know what I mean? Like it just is what it is. And maybe in their perspective area or whatever, but like there is a vast difference in the level of education. And I don't know. I think it's, I think it was a good experience to go through that and see the difference of like what research true, like that that's all they do is research and teach. That's it. They don't do anything else. Um, it's, it's so different, the mindset that they have, because that's all, a lot of that is of course, money-based and grant-based, but they are like, they have to be good. Like, you know, this is top of the top tier level faculty members, like, for Boise State to even get him as a biomechanist, the only reason he wanted to move there was because Boise is a great place to be. Um, but they had to pay him way more than the university really had to pay him, so which is huge. So it's just a difference, different caliber of individuals that are going through those programs and teaching them. A uh, couple of things. Um, when you're talking about like, I guess comparing your professors from the master's program. So they're primarily like teachers and researchers um, and then comparing those to professors in DPT programs who, I don't know, like at our school, all of our professors are practicing clinicians. So is that like a valid comparison to make, I'm wondering? And then also, um, as far as like you were saying, like being ready to go into the DPT program, um, do you think that just out of curiosity, like someone has to be ready to go into a DPT program? Or do you think you kind of figure that out while you're in the program type thing? Um, do you think that's possible? I don't know. What are your thoughts? Just throwing things out there, not trying to disagree with anything you're saying, just yeah. food for thought. No, I agree. Um, so most of the people in your DPT program, your faculty are clinicians by trade though. The people that I'm talking about, they're researchers by trade. Like that's totally different. Um, like I said, it's just a whole different caliber of what their expectations are because that's what they do, period. You know what I mean? Like it would be like saying, oh, hey, I'm going to go over and I'm going to do peds when I'm a sports specialist. You know what I mean? Like by trade, their interest is doing research. So I don't fault, you know, like, I'm not saying that's like, oh, they're terrible. I'm just saying like, there is a different level <laughs> there of like who the faculty are. <clears throat> um, in terms of like, do you have to be ready? I don't think so. Um, obviously, there are people that go into these programs that come out fantastic. There's people that are joining Level Up, you know, all the time that went from a bachelor's to, you know, just the DPT. But it's a matter of like, I mean, we talk about it in terms of like, how do we get patients behavior change, right? Like if you don't have the environment and the constraints there 
to induce that ability for them to work through that or actually gain that mindset or, you know, I don't know, get them to just even notice it. That's never going to happen. And like, I can tell you right now, like my program's not set up for a lot of that at all. I mean, you guys probably notice it too, is like you have people in your program that just like, it's not there. Even that, you know, you could have conversations with them about different things. And it's just like the environmental, like life constraints that they have on them right now. It's just not there to get that shift. And maybe, like I said, maybe it never will be. I mean, it is what it is. You're always going to have those people and no matter what profession you're in, um, no matter what area of life you're in, you're always going to have people that are like that. Um, I just think for me, it really helped me like open my eyes more so. And it prepared me better than what I know, what I know (laughs) the DPT program is preparing other people. So. Yeah, for sure. Those are great points. Hey everyone, Quinn Hennick here. Here's our brain break from the great conversation amongst our clinical athlete student ambassadors and clinical athlete student member, Andrew Gillahan. Don't forget to click the link in the show notes to join the Kalu community Facebook group to take part in awesome discussions, events like free journal clubs, case studies, and more. And now back to the show. So you're about to start your third year, right? Yep. So we go out to clinicals for 10 weeks this summer. I have a semester of didactic. It's like the culminating experience, kind of prep for boards, take the PEAT stuff, and then go to um, clinical, 16 weeks of clinical rotations in the spring. And then... Yeah, you're in a similar boat than I am. I know you're doing one at RTP. We have to perform. And is that your summer one? No. So this summer I'm actually, I'm doing my acute inpatient, um, here in Jonesboro. And then I'm actually going back to Boise for five weeks to a peds clinic out there. Um, I just have connections with one of the owners. So they're good family friends. So I was like, Hey, it'd be kind of cool. You know, if you contacted CI or something, um, just in casual passing. So yeah. So I ended up getting that. So I got there for five weeks just to kind of go home. I haven't been back to Boise since whatever, August of 2000, whenever I started. So is your car still in Utah? No, no. Pick it so, up on the way back. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I ended up having to get that shipped out to Jonesboro. It cost me like $5,000 to get that thing fixed. Cause the transmission blew up is what it was. Yeah, on my like first day driving to Jonesboro to go to PT school. So, and it got totaled in August this past year. So I paid $5,000 to fix this transmission of this car. And then the next August, it got totaled when somebody rear-ended me. So now I have a new vehicle. So <laughs> Not ideal. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the this is irrelevant, but the only thing I think of when I hear Boise is blue turf. Everybody says that. that the, yeah, literally, that's all I know about Boise. Yeah, it's that there's uh, blue turf. Just keep thinking that. Like, never go to Boise. Have all the Californians right. go to Austin. You know, like all of yeah. them can go that way. Yeah, Boise's right. Boise's awesome. It's like the the Texas of the kind of that West Coast, the Pacific Northwest. So, dope. Yeah. So. You, your Instagram handle is Stoic Physiotherapy. Can you talk about one, what that even means to you? And then 
elaborating more kind of on stoicism or stoic, you know, nature, and then the interest you've had with like male pelvic health and how that's evolved. Cause I'm sure that maybe that wasn't the case when you started PT school or how you even got into that kind of niche ish area. Uh, yeah. So stoicism, I mean, if anybody knows anything about it or if you've read a lot of things about it, um, it's kind of this ancient like school of thought and philosophy. And a lot of it um, kind of dives into like morals and ethics and like what it means to be like a good person or um, how to seek like living well. And so a lot of it kind of stemmed from, I lived alone in Boise, like by myself uh, for about three years. So like we've kind of talked about it a little bit on the phone of about like having that experience like really forces you to like dive into like what do I like to do what is truly important um like how do I how do I like live better like how do I be a better human uh how do I be a better like man how do I be a better like I don't know boyfriend or significant other like in relationships how do I communicate better um so I kind of dove into that and Obviously, my undergrad master's degree had a lot of psychology stuff in it. So I've always been kind of super interested in that philosophical of how do you like work through life's problems uh, in a kind of an objective way. And that's kind of how stoicism at its most extreme, right? It's like, hey, uh, you have to cognitively be aware of like all of your emotions all the time. You have to make a decision like, is this the right emotion at the right time? Um, similar things like that as you kind of go through life. Uh, basically, everybody has emotions, but you need to figure out like, are they important right now? Is this what I should be doing? Is this what I should be feeling? Is it just my judgments on whatever's happening in my life? So it's not a matter of like, oh, you don't have any emotions at all. It's how you perceive them and the actions that you take from those. So kind of as I've gotten older, uh, I'm not particularly religious. Uh, I'm not particularly, um, like I try not to be tied to like one specific thing. Uh, even my faculty member that I'm doing research for, we're going over myofascial release and myofascial unwinding. If you've ever heard of that, it's like, that's actually what my case report is on. Um, so, and she even told me we were in her office talking about my case report and she was like, I didn't think you were going to be able to like do like be in this research group because I thought you were too rigid in your thinking. And I, I looked, I looked at her and I was like, yeah, but you haven't even had a conversation with me about like what I think about these things or like, we haven't even talked, you, like you don't know me well enough to make that, you know, assumption. And uh, in talking to her, I was like, well, my, you know, my undergrad was psychology or part of it. And then my master's was psychology. Like, this stuff really interests me. Like just because I don't show emotion to you doesn't mean that I don't have it and doesn't mean that I, that I don't focus on it or like in, you know, take in constructive criticism and like really ponder it and like think about these things, you know, like it doesn't mean that I don't get mad. Obviously she probably knows that I get annoyed or frustrated, but it's like, why, you know what I mean? Like what are, what is the reasoning behind those things? So, uh, stoicism, I guess, um, has kind of been like a, grounding me in my virtues or like things that I find that are important. So, or even, you know, going through everything with level up, it's been like a, I kind of always end up going back to that of like, how do I live better? 
Um, you know, how do I, how do I have more like temperance? Like, how do I not like become so quick to an emotional reaction? You know, it's that thinking fast, thinking slow. It's like a lot of these books that we talk about and that we've gone over, you know, and that you have read yourself, like a lot of these like things that these people talk about are based in some sort of form of stoicism. It's just been repackaged. And so that's kind of where that came from. Um, so I guess stoic physiotherapy has been kind of a, uh, the way I wanted to go about like treating patients and helping with almost that, I don't know, I wouldn't say cognitive behavior theory, but in terms of like a different way of thinking about rehab and something that we can get back to of like, Hey, what's important. Uh, and especially with like pain science, stoicism, there's actually research on stoicism in like pain science for like medical science stuff. Um, but like, how do we get patients to not react so quickly? How do we get them to actually like think about, you know, cognitively about what's going on with them and just like what it means to be a good clinician. So change my Instagram handle that because of it. Business has been kind of modeled around that. Um, and looking, you know, I kind of just started the honey badger project, which Derek reached out to me the other day on, uh, the forums about it. And, uh, it's kind of one of the things that I've been moving towards working more with like veterans, military, um, law enforcement, because I think a, a lot of those populations inherently, uh, try to utilize stoicism in a way. Um, it may be little off from what it really means to be stoic. Um, and I think that's where a lot of like veterans currently where we have a lot of, uh, issues with mental health right now. And there's a lot of things going on with like what it means to be a good human. There's a lot of great books right now about, uh, the mental health of veterans coming back and different things that are going through their minds. And I was at the, one of my internships was at the VA when I went through my undergrad. So a lot, I saw a lot of it and it's just been kind of a, okay, how can I tie this all together now? Um, so between sports psychology and my master's degree, all the exercise science and now PT, it's been kind of this, like, we know that these things can be brought together and we know that they should for the total rehab, you know, health, healing, wellness, um, experience. So how do I do that? And that's kind of where it's at now. That's awesome, man. Um, that was a great synopsis of stoicism and how you want to incorporate it and how you are. Do you want to dive into more of the pelvic health, male sexual health type stuff as well? Yeah. Yeah. So I think this came out of, uh, <laughs> more surprise, I think. Um, so I, in my first semester, the faculty member for anatomy, uh, she's, she was a new faculty member at the time. She, uh, we were going through anatomy and she really wanted to spend a lot of time on pelvic health because that was her interest. Um, she was credentialed in it. Um, and it was one of those things that when we got to that section, I was like, what? Like, I've never heard of this. Like, how have I never heard of this? Like, this is crazy. I have gone through, I literally worked at a PT clinic for three years. Then I went through an undergrad degree and then I went through a master's degree and I've never heard of this. Like, nobody touches on this within like an athletic population. It's nobody talks about it. 
unless you're in the rehab world. But I have never heard a strength coach ever talk about like, what's your pelvic floor? You know, like, how's the endurance of it? Like, are you able to breathe correctly? Like nobody's really ever explained that. So I guess maybe it's just me. Maybe I never noticed. Um, but I had never heard of it. So of course, like being research, you know, having a research background, I like just dove into it and I was like, how do I not know this? Like it was, and it's, you know, we know now, or maybe more people knew before I did, like, it is really important, right? Like there's a, there's a lot of people, I mean, females, like that's a whole nother, you know, pregnancy, postpartum, like that's a whole big issue itself. And then diving even further into it because of like my experience at the VA and wanting to work with like tactical athletes, there is absolutely nothing for male pelvic health or like sports athletics for males at all. Um, and that's, you know, a lot of people have told me that I should probably get into research just because of that and kind of the passion for it. But it was one of those things that, um, because there is nothing and because I know firsthand, like, of course you could say anecdotally, maybe there's not enough people, but like, I literally know these people that have these issues that I've never heard about. Like I know I have friends, male friends that they have, have these issues and I have never heard of it. And I'm supposed to be the person that knows this shit. Like, like that's crazy. So if you have, you know, MDs or, you know, other clinicians that aren't even referring these people to a pelvic health specialist when that's all they might need, like, that's crazy to me. So anyway, uh, I've, linked up with a few people. I've been on a couple other podcasts with people about like my interest for it and kind of like educating people. Um, so William Mills is handles like doc Mills on a, he's in the level up group too. Um, so hopefully my other clinical rotation for next spring after, or whatever the other eight week one is beyond R2P is going to be with him down in Baton Rouge. So in him, um, and his business partner, Joey, for Alinea Performance, that's, they're doing mainly uh, like CrossFit, sports, athletic stuff, but male pelvic health uh, out of network stuff. Um, and they're some of the only ones that are really doing that within kind of the athletic population as well, um, just because it's just not really heard of. And then I'm kind of going to CSM this in Denver, not last year. Um, so in Denver, all of the topics, most of them, from the federal, uh, SIG, um, because I was looking at all the military ones too, were all about female pelvic health. And I kind of had this culmination of, all right, my master's degree, like all these people that are working in biomechanics and load carriage, not a single one of them talked about pelvic floor stability within male population of load carriage, right? Like military, everybody's worried about low back pain. Everybody's worried about like, uh, you know, knee valgus, everybody's worried about all these things. And nobody has even talked about the pelvic floor for all of these like musculoskeletal injuries is like absurd for military for low back pain. So, and it's not even talked about, like nobody even looks at it. So, um, going through that kind of, you know, the faculty member talking about it and then doing my own research, I was like, this is kind of fucked. So, and that was my like, okay, cool. Like this is, I, I need to learn how to do this. I've been so like holistic and everything that I've wanted to do for psychology, um, for, you know, sports ortho, you know, in PT school. And like, this is like the missing piece, right? Like you can't be a complete clinician without 
knowing what that is. Yeah, you can obviously refer out if there's something different, but if you can't even like at the basic level assess that, I, I don't, am I doing a disservice at that point with the people that I want to work with? And if not a single clinician within the VA that I was at was pelvic health certified and there wasn't anybody that they could send them to per the TRICARE, you know, it's hard enough to get TRICARE to pay for anything. I mean, I feel like that was almost like a, hey, I need to do this. Like a, almost like a calling to do that. Well, I feel like it's a super uncomfortable topic and I can imagine, you know, VA, that population is right not super uh, easily influenced into those co- easily like conversations about public health and yeah. what's going on. So it's fighting an uphill battle. And then it, from my experience with it, the, the guests we've had on who are pelvic health therapists, there's a lot of, you know, pseudo kind of quackery in it as well, because a lot of it is just underfunded or understudied. And then you have some people doing some wild shit. Um, but it's, you know, as you said, extremely pre- prevalent and impacts a lot of different populations. So I think it's really cool. That's something you're interested in. And um, yeah, I wish there was more kind of education about it because I'm on the same boat. Like I know like so little about it, but I'm sure there's so many males and females that have these issues. That's like, where do you, where, where's their direction? Where do they go? Yeah. And it's, I mean, so I, I even took like a pregnancy uh, continuing ed from intimate Rose like a year ago or so. And one of my buddies, his wife got pregnant and she was having all these issues. And I was like, Oh, cool. You know, like I have some idea of what she's going through and she was never referred to pelvic health PT. And I was like, Hey, you need to, you need to go. Like, she was like, Oh, I've never heard of that. Like nobody's ever told me about that. I was like, just at the most basic level of like, Hey, I can't help you specifically, but I can refer you to somebody that can. Right. And to me, I was like, God, the fact that we don't even talk about that enough, you know what I mean? Like if that's not at the like tip of your tongue of like, Hey, if I don't know public health, I need to send you to somebody that does, you know what I mean? Like I at least need to be able to see some signs and symptoms of like, Hey, this is like, this is important. Like this actually helps our clients. And like from an education standpoint for male pelvic health specifically is I don't even put that much content out there, but I have had so many people message me about it. Like so many people I have had people just on Instagram alone of just like random people. I do not know that they're like, wow, I actually suffer from that. Like, do you know anything? Like, do you have a way that you can help me? I'm just like, no, I don't, but I have, you know, like, I can't do that for you right now. I'm still a student. I can't give you any medical advice, but here, like, here's the people that if I had the same issues that you do, this is who I would go to. And I mean, that's at that most basic level of the fact that you can have an impact through social media or whatever it is of people are just like, yeah, we never knew that. It's just crazy to me. So I actually have, I'm going to read this to you because um, I had this lady message me um, the other day about this on Instagram. So um, let's see. So she said, Hey, just came across your page and it's really interesting. My husband is a green beret and has all sorts of pelvic health issues from a variety of issues, combat injuries and ankylosing spondylitis. And I've honestly never seen someone focus on the importance of pelvic health until coming across your page. Just wanted to let you know, I appreciate you sharing your knowledge. 
asked her a couple questions. I was like, hey, how's your husband dealing, been dealing with those issues? I know it can have some emotional and mental tolls, relationship tolls. Um, you know, I can help you like find somebody. And the, I mean, this is her response. So that's awesome. I look forward to following your journey. It's difficult. He's been having lots of issues with his hips lately, which is now causing pain in his ribs. He's just always in pain. They gave him Humira for the AS and a few other meds for mood. Then, of course, it impacts him mentally and emotionally. They're so used to functioning at such a high level. And then when they're taken, when they're taken down, it's like disastrous. He is not the same person at all. He gets by, but of course, I'd love to see him enjoying life more. Like if that doesn't like, you know, like that like hurts a little bit of just like from a system that is supposed to like help you know, a veteran, like a Green Beret, like we know, like they're the top tier individuals, some of the most elite level, you know, combat forces in the world. And then he can't even get like the care for that. That's, that's crazy to me. Like, that's really sad. (laughs) So anyway, things like that. And of course I referred to some people, but I was going to ask, was there a specific provider you were able to refer? Um, so actually I, so she's in Florida. So I actually sent her to Alinea. Um, so Will and Joey, and they're, they're at least able to, you know, consult with that. You know, that's if his wife is the one asking, you know what I mean? Like, and that's one of the things in talking to, you know, Joey and, and Will's like, it's almost, I think we're going to see more of that, of, you know, like the spouses are going to be reaching out because hopefully, you know, like that's important. Of course, we talk about contextual factors and biopsychosocial of like, I mean, can you imagine you go to, you know, get married, you want to have kids, you just got back from fighting a war, maybe you got injured or blown up somehow, and now your dick doesn't work. Like everything that you wanted, you know, like this like dream, like aspiration that you had for your life is just like unreachable now. And all anybody says is here, take this pill go do this. You know what I mean? Like, uh, there's nothing we can do about it. And they don't even like give you the option, you know, to do something that's maybe more holistic. If you would say like PT or just exercising, you know, something like that is more holistic, but that's, that's like brutally sad. So, I mean, that's kind of the direction that I've been taking it is because like I said, I have friends that are coming back that are currently green berets or they are special forces in some capacity, or they have been, you know, boots on the ground doing whatever that, like they have these same issues. So it's not just a, like a one-off of, I have this anecdotal evidence of like, oh, I have a friend. It's like, no, there's people that they just don't know, or they just don't talk about it, or nobody's ever asked. Like, oh, your low back hurts. You know, like if, oh, I can't find any of these reasons. I wonder if there's, do you have, you know, erectile dysfunction? Like, are you having any problems, you know, constipation, incontinence? And, oh, yeah, actually. Like, I now that I think about it, I'm like, how many times have students, you know, just forgotten, like, low back pain? You don't even ask about that. You just kind of forgo it and say, like, if it wasn't on there and you don't make sure that you touch on it, you know, reiterate the point of, like, hey, this could be a problem. You missed it. Like, and I think about it, I'm like, damn, the evals that I've done, I think I missed it. Like I could have missed something. So just, uh, I don't know, being more holistic as a clinician is so, so important. Um, and I think that kind of gets lost in the specialization of things that we have. What I think too, that you alluded to is, I mean, you're, you're passionate and you care. 
So, you know, there's a lot of the things that I see in schools. It's this blank face. You know, we're looking at this person almost like they are a machine and we're trying to fix this broken part and we don't, you know, communicate with them. We don't get to know who they are and we just tell them what they need or we give them a couple options and they're just sitting there awestruck, like, holy shit, like what just happened? Um, instead of, you know, really getting to, you know, know this person or just sit down and have a conversation with them. Um, because I feel like with a lot of those, you know, either military or police officers, um, there's almost like this, I don't want to say like a tough guy mentality, but like nothing breaks them or that nothing can be wrong with them. Mm-hmm. Or even in healthcare where people look at us like, well, like you can't be sick or you can't have mental health issues. Like you're supposed to help me when deep down inside, you know, there's still shit that, we all have to deal with or that we're all going through. So, you know, really getting down to it and appreciating the person across from us and actually having those conversations and just being comfortable with, you know, asking those questions, treating them like a human being, I think will open the door for people like you to actually help with those issues. Um, Because I feel like we tend to shut people down from really opening up about important aspects of what they're dealing with because we don't, necessarily treat them like a human being it's more like this robot that you know i don't want them to talk to me i'm going to talk to them and tell them what's going on so i really like you know your approach and how you're handling things with this yeah i mean we talk about humanizing the patient right like like i said that person that messaged me like her husband is like one of my best friends like to the t which is Damn, like if you think about, you know, like whoever it is that you think about when you're going to treat or somebody that you really care about. And if that person right across from you is that person, like they're the exact same person that you're treating, like treat them like that. So even my case report that I was talking about earlier is he's actually a law enforcement officer. He's ex, you know, he's a veteran, ex army. He, uh, same thing. We were going through this evaluation and, uh, he's having low back pain and he, you know, I kind of wanted to, you know, ask the question of, I mean, I did ask the question of, you know, like, are you having any other issues, like any incontinence, you know, anything erectile dysfunction wise, any pain like in your groin or within your like rectal area? He was like, Oh yeah, actually. Yeah. I've had like this weird, like almost like cramping pain, like right, like, you know, behind my like testicles. He's like, it's like weekly. He's like, it like almost debilitates me. He's like, I can't even get out of bed when it happens. It's weird. And I was like, oh, okay, great. Like that, that just that alone, he was like, I've never even heard of it. He was like, there's people that like, you have a pelvic floor. It's like, oh, you know, and he's pretty high functioning. Um, He does, you know, CrossFit style stuff. So, I mean, a lot of it comes down to like in the case report, we worked on like a lot of breathing, you know, diaphragmatic breathing stuff and you know, whatever you can say research wise about it. Um, but there was a lot of it is just like controlling a lot of factors to help kind of mitigate those things. Um, and after we went through 10 visits of MFR for the case report, like I pretty much just did that, gave him home exercises, but, uh, he doesn't have it anymore. He has like, I haven't had a single, like one of those pains. He's like, my low back doesn't hurt anymore nothing. And of course, you know, I chalk it up to like, I have no fucking clue what actually did it. You know, it's a case report. There's a lot of things that I could have done or, you know, like we scaled or, you know, we backed off on different things, but he was like, I, have a, I can actually lift more weight now. 
you know, whether it's a load tolerance or whatever. But it was one of the things that he was like, I never knew that. He was like, yeah, I actually do, you know, he's married, has a wife. Like, yeah, I actually do have some erectile dysfunction issues. Like every once in a while, just like, just like doesn't work. Like, I don't know what it is, like stress or anything. I'm just like, dude, that's, that's so fucking important. Like that's your, that's your sociocultural psychological factors right there of the BPS model. Like if you're not even asking questions to that degree, you know, are you doing a disservice? So, and that's kind of where it comes in of like, we talk about the BPS model, but are we really about it? So I don't know. All right, dude. Well, you have what, about a year and then you graduate. Is it May, 2022? Correct. Yeah. Join the party. Do you, in your head right now, do you have any ideas of what it looks like after graduation or does it really depend on these clinicals and this full next year? Um, I mean, ideally. So like I said, I joined, did the, I'm doing the honey badger program, which, I mean, you guys talked to Mark and kind of the same thing going through Frank's program. Um, right now, like I would love to get into kind of like the online training stuff. I would still like to stay within PT, um, in some form, but it just kind of depends on what that looks like. Um, my girlfriend's in Cincinnati right now. She's going through a ABSN program. So, I mean, we can really go anywhere. We're going to graduate at the same time. So we've talked about, you know, she wants to move somewhere that's warm and I kind of want to go somewhere that's not Jonesboro. So, um, whether that's back to Boise or Arizona or Colorado or something, um, I'd like to get into some sort of like outpatient, maybe like part-time, um, or per diem doing something while building out, you know, kind of stoic physiotherapy. The idea is that when I'm done with school, I will to like walk right into that and be like, Hey, I can consult telehealth. I can do these things. Like this is who I'm serving. Like this is solely, you know, not solely focused on veterans, but you know, incapacity of like those types of individuals within those types of occupations. So I do not want to be like the further I get into PT school and like the more things I do, the more I just like don't want to work for somebody else. I just, yeah, I can't do it anymore. I'm just like, so over the, like, if I get stuck working for an insurance, like even just doing regular documentation in PT school, I'm like, this is so ridiculous. So yeah, that's probably what I'll end up doing is hopefully growing stoic physiotherapy to what I want it to be. Hell yeah. I like it, man. What would you have any, or do you have any thoughts or advice for students coming into either a master's program or uh, any type of grad school or anything you would want to tell yourself like three, four years ago, Megan, why are you laughing? You hitting your mic. Oh, did it? You're so, you're so clumsy. It's so fun. <laughs> I'm not the only one anymore. All right. Um, I don't know. That's hard. Um, three years ago in my master's, I really had to fuck a lot of things up to learn to get where I'm at now. Um, but I think that was a matter of like, I kind of have this mindset of like, I'm totally capable of doing anything at any time that I want to do. 
and I can learn how to do anything. Like uh, you already have the skill sets of like you've made it this far. Hey, you're a human being. You've come from however many years of fucking evolution. You are an intelligent person. You can learn how to do everything, right? Like you can literally learn how to do anything, you know? And like this past year during COVID, like I learned how to do a bunch of marketing things and like all this digital stuff. And like, you can literally learn how to do anything. So whatever it is, like whatever it takes, like go do it. I, I think that's what I said on like the last podcast I was on. Just fucking go do whatever it is that you want to do. Like, but you have to make sure like that's the way to get there. Um, it took me a little bit longer. You know, I kind of like bounced from one end to the other. I, you know, instead of going like a straight path, I like went up and around and, you know, like came back around a couple of times. But I think for me, a lot of that was growth um, that I absolutely needed to be where I'm at now to have those experiences to kind of set up that, you know, dynamic systems of like, how do I turn into the person that I really want to be? Um, but a lot of that was myself, right? Of like, I went in, everything that I've been doing has always been like, hey, this is kind of the goal. Um, and I feel like this can help me at this time. And maybe it did, maybe it didn't. Maybe I learned something from it. Um, so just go do it, whatever it is. Read more books, philosophize, talk to Chris. <laughs> that's what I would say. Just talk to Chris, like have, have hour long conversations with Chris on the phone. <laughs> that's the best thing you've ever said. Megan loves that. Um, can we learn how to grow our hair back? Cause I think we're struggling. Um, you know, like it's so freeing though. Oh, so like, free. It's like, it's like one less like thing. You're like, your chains are broken from like society at that point. But there's a lot of people that like love bald people. So, so many. I have a bald story real quick before we stop. <laughs> so once we shaved the locks off my head the first time, I uh, found out I had a giant cyst on my head. And uh, the my primary care doctor apparently loves popping cysts. And so as he was doing it, he was like explaining the whole situation of like the needle going in and just the pressure he was placing on my head. And I passed out in the middle of him popping it. And uh, I don't know where the story's going, but that's all I got. It's pretty wild. And mine's not as wild as that. I like contemplated it for so long just because I was like, I mean, like I, I'm not even like balding that bad, but it's like one of those things that I was just like so fed up with just like the notion of like getting my haircut or just like so many things with it. And I like would always like think about it. And I'm like, oh, I should just shave my head. And I said it for probably like, I don't know, probably like six months straight. My girlfriend, like she was like, don't shave your head. Don't shave your head. And I like one day, like I just, just like, fuck it. I'm fucking doing it today. Grab my clippers, like cut it all off. And uh, I did it before because she's in Cincinnati, obviously. So we FaceTime every night. And, uh, I like had my camera like blacked out. She's like, what are you doing? I'm like, let me see your face. And I like showed her my face and she was like, no fucking way that you did that. I was like, oh yeah. Yep. I did it. She was like, oh, it actually doesn't look that bad. I was like, see, it wasn't that terrible. And Very then I've just been doing it ever since. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's just so much anxiety around like identity it, of hair. And once you shave it off, you're like, this could be way worse. It's literally yeah. just yeah, 100%. And now I'm like, I couldn't, like, I'm almost like, why would I ever have hair again? Like, if I want it, like, why? It doesn't even, doesn't help you do anything. 
but, you know, yeah. it gets in the way. I mean, my ears really hot when I go to sleep at night. Yeah. See? Yeah. <laughs> I don't get it. That's all right. I think my mom is more in grief about me losing my hair or me shaving it off. She has like a pair of my locks in a uh, Ziploc bag. Yeah. My mom was mad. My mom was so mad when I shaved my head. She was like, you what? Yeah. She I was like, yeah. I was afraid to go back home. I thought she was going <laughs> to Yeah. All right. Well, we probably shouldn't continue. Well, we should just have a separate podcast for like being bald and talk about that. Probably. Two yeah. bald bros. That's it. That's going to be the name of <laughs> Dude, that's just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Two bald bros. Uh, we just bring on bald dudes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, God, this went sideways so quick. <laughs> It's, okay. Well, this thing is right? That's what it was. It's the whole podcast. But it's true. It's true. I guess it fits the name pretty well. Yeah. Yeah, man. So, besides, or I guess, you know, Stoke Physiotherapy on Instagram, is that the best place for people to reach out or ask questions or talk? Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm on Facebook. You can find me, Andrew Gillahan. Um, yeah, it's pretty easy. Just add me as a friend or message me. I'll probably message you back. Uh, Twitter, I have it. I hate it. It's a gross cesspool of just Trash. terribleness. Yeah. So I pretty much never use that. Turned off all should, notifications for it. You should just get rid of it like your hair. 100%. Shave it off. I mean, I pretty much... Uh, I don't have the app on my phone or anything. So, I mean, it's still there. You could technically probably message me and I'd get like an email or something about it. But I never use <laughs> it. Um, <laughs> but Instagram... Uh, I actually turned off the notifications for that too. So trying to like free myself from electronic chains of things, even though I feel like I'm always on it still. So, but it helps when I can just like forget it or put it into my lockbox. Shout out Frank Benedetto. Put that thing in that timer lockbox, put my phone in there. Dude, it's game changer. It'll change your life. I promise. If you don't have self-control like Chris does. <laughs> I just I put my phone on the other side of the room right next to my roommate's wall actually on this wall right here because this is where his bed is and I turn the volume up full capacity so in the morning at 5 o'clock <laughs> if I don't get to my phone like if I snooze like he's gonna kill me so it's more of a like set the environment to wake up or to not text I just put my phone on airplane mode that's the way it is. I could get a fucking lockbox like you, but that sounds extreme. Yeah, it was like 60 bucks or something like that on Amazon, but it was like necessary. Like I was at a point where I was like, what am I doing? So now I put my phone like over at my desk and my bed's over here. So that way I have to get up to get it. Yeah. And then I also bought like an actual real alarm clock. Because so I was like... That's wild. I have trust issues with that. Depending on my, why. Because if the power goes out or if it's like daylight day. You're just going to forget. It's a battery backup time, though, man. Come on. Oh, that's smart. That is yeah. smart. Come on. They have fail-safes for this. Yeah, you're I, right. Yeah, I was just tired of depending on my phone for everything. So that's why I, like, turned off all the notifications and, yeah, did that. So makes me more productive, I feel like. Yeah, I mean, smart. Maybe it's placebo. I don't know. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for joining the party, man. Derek, Megan, great to have you as always. <laughs> That's all we got.
We'd like to thank Andrew for being on the show. You can check out the show notes for contact info of everyone in today's conversation, including our all-star clinical athlete student ambassadors, Chris Hewen, Megan Broussard, and Derek Bark. We want to thank them for everything that they do to help our student community. And thank you, the clinical athlete community, all six of you, for joining us on this journey of knowledge and improved practice in both the gym and clinic. And one more time, Go to the link in the show notes, join the Calu Community Facebook group, and be a part of our awesome community. Thanks, everyone, and talk to you soon.